0: I want to take a quick second to promote a business that's a friend of the podcast and also a person who runs it is a friend of mine, and that is Sick Little Creations. So you can find it on Redbubble. There's amazing uh, stuff on there. You can find artwork, stickers, um, some clothing, a bunch of other stuff. Find it on redbubble.com. You can also uh, find more of her work at Pinterest, be sure to check that out. It's really amazing work. So any, at any time you have, you need know, to get a gift for someone, like I know we're, you likely just missed Mother's Day, but still you do have, you do a Father's Day coming up. There's still birthdays. There are a variety of other holidays, so you can go for it. So definitely be sure to check that out. And that's Sick Little Creations, and you can find that on Redbubble, and also be sure to follow her on Pinterest as well. Hi everybody! This is Matt Kirby, and welcome to a brand new episode of Groupie and Harmony, the podcast all about music. Today, because February is Black History Month, we're gonna are gonna record a Black History Month special. Um, first off, my typical shameless plug: I have a Facebook page. It's called Groupie and Harmony. Make sure you like it to get any updates about the podcast or my music blog. Feeling Groupie. Um, I haven't released anything on that recently. I haven't. I've been more focusing on my other blog, which I'll get to in a second, but I'm gonna focus. I'm gonna there's a couple things that are gonna be coming out. A couple series will definitely are uh series will be coming out later in the year, but then death before then I'm oh, I have a couple posts that I'm gonna that I plan on releasing. Um not sure when yet, hopefully within the next week, week and a half will be the next one. Um I also have a separate Facebook page for my basketball blog is Baller Trademark Yet. A few days ago, I did one. I released a post related to All-Star Weekend. Uh, I'm going to have another post coming out in the next couple days that's uh, related to uh, some stories in college basketball. I know the biggest one that probably most people are thinking of is the Brandon Miller and Alabama fiasco. But there are some other ones too. Like New Mexico State had a men's basketball team had a really bad situation there like not long before everything unfolded with Alabama's uh situation so I'm gonna discuss both of those um there's a few other excuse me there's a few other posts that I'm gonna have coming out in the coming weeks there's a bunch of things that I do want to write about like I with basketball I've been more focused on that than with the music blog like I do want to talk about uh the Atlanta Hawks um Firing Nate McMillan and then hiring, uh, Quinn Snyder. Um, I want to talk about Oklahoma city thunder. Cause I love that. love that lineup. And then, and Broster. Um, I do want to give an update related to WNBA free agency, but then it's also with March madness coming up. I'm going to have predictions with that. I might do a mock, my first mock draft prior to that for the men's prior to the men's tournament. I'm not sure yet with all that, there'll be a bunch that's coming out though, for sure in the next, the next few weeks. Um, so before we get into the, uh, the main focus of this episode, let's, I just want to do a, discuss a few news stories and then also, uh, um, and then I want to, uh, discuss some, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and then I want to discuss some, uh, uh, some festival announcements. Uh, so, um, Uh, so the first one is, uh, related to the Megan the Stallion, uh, Tory Lanez case, because Tory Lanez was found guilty, um, his sentencing was scheduled today, uh, to be today, I'm recording this on the 28th, uh, he, uh, he, however, he, uh, the case was postponed, uh, the tr- sentencing was postponed, and in, he's allowed to speak on the case, uh, about the case now, the gag order was lifted, and he also has said that he's planning on filing a motion for a new trial. So we'll see what happens with there. I have, I'm not quite sure what will, what will go on there. Um, and then uh, also, uh, so, uh, R. Kelly, um, what also was sent, uh, added more time to his prison sentence. So, um, a few days ago, he, Uh, it was announced that he was sentenced to 20 years for child pornography, uh, excuse me, for child pornography, uh, charges, uh, in one of the cases they face. So that will be in addition to, I believe he was facing 30 years already. So it'll be 20 years in addition to 30 years, um, and then also, uh, uh, Event Sevenfold had an interesting situation recently. Um they uh their so their accounts got hacked. And uh um and uh on all the on their social media it there was announcements that were made about how they were canceling their festivals. So, uh using a combination of uh apparently deep deep fake technology and then also just doctorate images and uh so yeah that's some so i mean they have clarified that none of the festivals that they are scheduled to perform at are being canceled and it sounds like they were able to resolve that issue but still that's a really that's just a really wacky situation for them um and before we get into the festival lineups that have been announced uh Sound on sound festival, which was the festival that Megan our friend, my sister, um, our friend Ty and I had all discussed on the episode because, uh, we all, we all went to that festival. Um, and so they were going to announce the lineup, uh, um, on the 14th. So now, February 14th. Now, as of the time of recording, it hasn't been announced yet. So two weeks later, they haven't announced it yet. Um. And it, it sounded like that the reason was that uh, one of the major headliners fe- uh, plans to have them perform fell through. And it what had been leaked at Bruce Springsteen's camp that he was going to be a headliner. But since then, they have said that they have a new headliner. Um, So already, John Mayer had been announced as a headliner. It was sounding like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band was going to be the other headliner. Um, But now they have said on Connecticut Station 99.1 KLR, which is a classic rock station. um, I don't have the quote in front of me, but they said something along the lines of that the new headliner was going to be a major, like, Arena Stadium, kind of performing act that gets that whose music is played a lot on PLR and hasn't performed in Connecticut for 20 years. Um, and I will confess that, like, I don't know the touring history beyond the last few years, in, uh, for especially with Connecticut, but the first thought that came to mind, honestly, with that met those conditions was Red Hot Chili Peppers. And Ty, I was, uh, I texted Megan and Ty that. Ty actually checked on his end, and he saw that the last time they performed in Connecticut was in 2000. So I don't know with certainty that it is Red Hot Chili Peppers, but they fit the, they fit the bill. And I don't, just because I don't have that kind of knowledge about touring history that far back. I only have the last few years, um, I really probably since COVID. Uh, and then time before COVID, but not 20 years ago. So it sounds like that, the, though, that that meets the conditions that they set. But we'll we'll find out. I have heard like a bunch of different dates about when the lineup will be announced. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, they announce it within the next week or two. Um, just because uh, there are a lot of other festivals that are announcing their lineups. Even once that are later in the year, so it makes sense to, uh, if especially if it's not a yet established festival, to announce their lineup. Um, now sooner, I should say rather than later. Now, uh, as for uh, as uh, for some other some other festival and anna- some festival announcements. So, a uh, first one some. F- Sunfest rather. It's not a mathematical festival. It's a, sa- a th- Sunfest. Um May fifth through seventh in Florida, West Palm Beach, uh Headliners, the Killers, Jack Johnson and Chainsmokers. Other acts they have include uh, a Boogie Witch Hoodie, Three Eleven, All Time Low, Dropkick Murphy's, Florida, uh Ziggy Marley, Allo, uh Annabelle Enkland, uh Arden, Charlotte Sands, the God, Gatlin, The Hip Abduction, Leia, um, Please and Thank You, Surfer Girl, and some others. Um, Those headliners are pretty big. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the Killers are one of the bigger rock bands out there. Um, Jack Johnson and the Chainsmokers both have massive followings. Boogie Witch Hoodie is on a really big tour right now. Um, so even having them, him as like, not a headliner. Um, Full ride Rider, yeah, you pretty much count on him drawing the crowd. Uh, Ziggy Marley's sneaky smart one. Um, yeah, I think that overall there's a there's a bunch of ones that I think uh, a lot of that I think people will definitely go and see there. Um, and then next up, uh, Tidal Wave uh, Country Festival in Atlantic City uh, from August eleventh through thirteenth. Uh, headliners are Thomas Rhett, Jason Aldean, and uh, Brooks and Dunn. Other acts include Cole Swindle, Jelly Roll, Dustin Lynch, Randy Houser, Dylan Scott, Jody Messina, Mitchell Tenpenny, Lindsay L, a bunch of others, I'm just going to jump around here, Priscilla Block, uh, DJ DJ Silver, Nate Smith, uh, Pillbox Patty, Megan Maroney, Corey Kent, Lily Rose, Haley uh, Haley Witters, Cooper Allen, a bunch of others. Um, yeah, I think that, especially when, first all, look at the top, I th- those three names are really big in country. So I think that feels pretty safe to book those ones, even like looking at Cole Swindle. And I, because I mean, I see Cole Swindle on there, for instance. And would it be like, if he's, uh, if he was a headliner for a festival, is that the, um, is that one the type of act necessarily that would uh, that would be like for a he- that would be right for a headliner? Maybe not as big as a headliner, but I feel like as like second or third biggest name on a day. I feel like that's like that seems fair to me because he is really big in country music. Um, Dustin Lynch uh, has a pretty big following. He's had a bunch a bunch of country hits the last few years. Jelly Roll's interesting because he hasn't had a ton of hits, but yet he's like. Going on a stadium tour now and like arena, you not know, stadium tour is still like an arena tour, um, which is odd. That, that It's like, he's that big now. Um, but yeah, I mean, now feels like a good time to book him in that regard though. Um, I feel like also that Mitchell Tenpenny, he's been opening for a lot of bigger names. I think he actually might be opening for Jason Aldean. I'm not certain though. Um, so, yeah, that feels like a that feels like a smart bet. He's had a few hits. Um, yeah, I think that overall, um, there is a bunch of, uh, with this one, it's like a bunch of artists that I'm like, yeah, those, that those feel like, uh, it feels like a good combination of artists. Um, for country fans. The next, uh, festival I want to discuss is the Roots Picnic, which is in Philadelphia. It's going to be June 2nd through June 4th. And, uh, the headliners are Lauren Hill, um, which actually, fun fact, the, uh, this year is actually the 25th anniversary of the miseducation of Lauren Hill, so it's a celebration of that, uh, Diddy and the Roots, Dave Chappelle, who is going to be performing on Friday night, Lil Fur, Ferd, and other acts include Ari Lennox, City Girls, Maverick City, uh, Lucky Day, Sid, Glorilla, um, Black Thought, Eve, Buster Rhymes, Division. Uh, Asley Brothers, DJ Drama, Saucy Santana, Uncle Waffles, Roy Ayers, um, Kindred, The Family Souls, Spinal, a bunch, bunch, bunch of others. Um, they also have, like, a separate stage for a podcast, like, they have Charlamagne the God, um, Off the with DJ Academius, um, Lip Service with, Lip Service with Angela Lee, Quest Love Supreme, uh, uh, some other ones as well. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good combination. Um, I mean, even like the the headliners, those are uh those are some pretty big names headlining. Um, and I will say also, cause I uh, the only act on this list that I've seen live is the Roots. I will say the Roots are exceptional live and definitely uh one of those ones where I see it and uh it's like yeah gotta got see them live if you can um i mean lauren hill is a is a huge get um Lil little i think is is a as re, a really smart one too because he's a massive following uh Chappelle is interesting because i know when anytime like you have co- uh comedians book by festivals it's like i will i will confess that every time i see that i'm like i've always been torn about whether for, in general, for festivals. Should you book a comedian? Should you book a podcast, for instance? Um, I feel like it depends on the nature of the festival. I think with this one, it works. Um, and then, like, for the undercard acts, I think there's a lot of good ones there. Um, Irlenox is, uh, uh, definitely has, uh, has a, a sizable following now. Maverick City, it's really, really big in gospel music. Uh, City Girls has a big following. Lucky Day seems to to have exploded a bit. Glorilla is sneaking onto the scene. Uh, Eve has a following. Buster Rhymes consistently has had a following. Division is a smart one, too. Same thing with Isley Brothers. Yeah, this one, I think there's a lot of uh, really... That one's a really cool lineup. Uh, And the last festival I'll be discussing is Dreamville Festival, which uh, is uh, taking place in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um... And uh, headline. It's and also it's uh, April first and second, twenty twenty three. For the headliners, uh, Saturday it's Usher. Sunday it's J Cole and Drake. Um, and I and it looks like Burna Boy is also performing that day as well. It's one of the days. I think he's performing on the Saturday. Uh, excuse me, the Sunday, but I'm not certain. And I will say also because J Cole is from that area, so he puts on the festival in that area every year. Um, and I will say, because when I was one of the year, cause I was in North Carolina for a couple of years. I think it was the second year I was there, 2019. That that festival was massive. There were people parking all over the place for it. It was crazy to see. Um, and pretty cool for them. Uh, on Saturday, they also have uh, Lil Durk, Ari Lenox, City Girls, Sean Paul, Earth Gang, Jesse Reyes, Key Glock, Sir, Luke, Omen, Marcus Clay, and uh, Fictany. Um, and then uh on Sunday, in addition to J. Cole Drake and Burna Boy, they also have Summer Walker, uh, J D, uh, Glorilla, Bass, uh Walk of Lock of Flame, Mario, era excuse me, era Star, Baby Tate, Cuz, Jordan Ward and Reuben Vincent. That's that's a pretty darn deep lineup for both days actually. Um, like Steve is, for instance, and Baby uh, Tate both feel like they're pretty far down for it. And I mean, it's like you look at the artists of both them, it's like it makes sense. Um, even seeing like Walk of Flock of Flame like as far down as he is, that's wild too. Um, or like, for instance, Earth Gang as far down as they are. Yeah, I think that's wild. And I mean, both days have like a massive, massive headliner. Um, and, uh, and then, like there's to uh and i mean the second biggest name on each day also having blitzer and summer walker both those are pretty big right now so i think that's that is crazy to see wow um that's quite the lineup <laughs> um yeah and that that festival usually does have like pretty deep lineups so i've always been impressed with that one um consistently you <clears throat> now, um so now we'll move on to the Black History Month special episode, and I and I do this every year. Um, even uh, even though I know with a lot of I know with a lot of companies in particular, I always feel like they have a Black History Black History Month, and it's a or Women's History Month, for instance. It always feels like something that honestly does feel pretty gimmicky from a lot of corporations. Um, but I know for me in particular, the reason that I wanted to that I want to do this every year. And I have some sort of that uh, I've often had, I know in the past I've had like some sort of intro kind of background kind of thing that does discuss, <clears throat> excuse me, that does have a discussion that's kind of, I know this will, will probably be similar to the one I had last year, but in particular, the reason that I want it, I do want to do that discuss it is because in particular, the influence of, Black musicians, black culture, um, black artists as a whole, are is massive in modern music, and I and I remember I was in one music class that I took in a college. The professor had said something along the lines of, pretty much every style is either made by people that are outside every musical style that's good, effectively is from all parts made is invent, invented, innovated." and created by someone who is outside the U S or if they are in the U S, which a lot of ours are, was someone who are, was someone or several people who were black that, um, were, that was how, <clears throat> excuse me, that was, who really created the style. And I think that is really a mass, a really massive thing to, uh, to point out. Cause I mean, you look at a lot of different styles, um, and seeing the influence of black artists in it, like obviously rap, hip-hop, R&B, gospel are obvious ones. But even like rock music, um, you look at that and really it, um, a big part of rock music was blues music and in particular. Um, you look at, with that, you, there are a lot, and while admittedly there were rockabilly artists that were having success, I think that especially if you look at the harder rock music, it, a lot of that really stems from blues music and stems from black artists. And a one in, there is one in particular that I am going to discuss who I think was especially influential in that regard. Then also you have jazz music, for instance. A lot of the early jazz musicians were black and extremely influential in that. And I know one that I'm going to be discussing in that regard is uh, there's one in particular that I'm going to be discussing in that regard, though i feel like with jazz music you can make you can cite any influence any number of artists and even with blues music also i know i alluded to this when i was discussing rock music but a lot especially early blues music a lot of blue blues musicians were black as well and just those styles for instance right off the bat and same thing there are other styles there are other styles too there um there were a lot of um there was a combination for disco for instance where it was uh in the U, well, there were a lot of European disco artists. There, it was also in terms of the U.S. There were a lot of black singers, and vocalists who were uh who were really important in disco in the '70s, and in turn really did help influence several forms of electronic music and EDM music. And some there were also some earlier uh electronic artists who were black, and one in particular I will be discussing in a little while. Um, and I think just as a whole, I really do think that with, uh, historically, in music, a lot of times, Black artists are the ones who are the most important ones in terms of the music, in terms of the innovation, and really making music what it is today. But yet, a lot of times, white artists uh, can co-opt it um, and find success off a genre that uh, without dealing with the hardships and by uh, appealing to a white audience and even more so what executives will come in and make all the money so in the historically the black artists didn't make money and I know one artist in particular that I'm going to be discussing this definitely was the case and really was impacted her later in her career from many stories I've heard and I and I think that's And I think that's also is kind of the epitome of American society in a lot of ways, where we still do have, I mean, I know for me, ideally, I I have this, I guess, I think for years I had this kind of innocent view where it's like, why, it doesn't matter what race people are. But I think that now, as I've grown up, I can see that even though, for me, I don't, I feel like it shouldn't matter, that society-wise it does matter and as such if i were to just say why does it matter in every situation i think that for me in particular i've realized that it is starting to ignore issues that we have as a society where uh, where there is still a prevalent amount of racism there is still a, pre- a prevalent amount of hate speech directed towards individuals of color in particular black people and uh, there's a lot of exploitation of and uh, both exploitation and uh, cultural appropriation of black culture and black people in particular, and I, and I feel like I'm like preaching to the choir when I'm saying that, that's messed up. That's not fair. Um, we shouldn't keep. We should. This shouldn't be happening, especially not now. Especially not. We've had how many years where you think we wise up to it, but yet it keep does it still keeps on happening so i and i think i find it absolutely devastating to see that which again feels like i'm been preaching to the choir but i still think it is something that is important we have to acknowledge to learn more about it and uh, to realize that this is an issue that uh that starting with awareness and then that then action can come from the awareness. So what I, what I've, I know I definitely did this last year. Uh, This year, I, this, I doing a similar kind of thing that I did last year where I discussed 10 artists in a little more depth. And in particular, I, I want to discuss 10 artists who not only, in most cases are, I think, essential in music, but then also I think have an impact on my life. And it was, it, I will confess, it was really difficult for me to uh, to limit it down to 10. Because, like, I I mean, there are several artists who uh, I did leave, I did leave out. And just by the fact that I could only have 10 of them. And in particular, I am discussing some artists that I have discussed in the past as well. Um, I know that, but still, I think that with some of these artists, I could go on forever and, and ever about them. But... There are, again, there are many artists that I did leave out. Like, uh, for instance, I really want to discuss a a tribe called Quest, but I figured with, uh, since I did recently discuss them with the Rock and Roll Hall fame nomination, I decided that maybe not so soon after just recently talking about it, uh, talking about them. Uh, Same thing with De La Soul after uh, I recently talked about them with a member passing. Um, But there, and there are, like, some others too. Like, um, I was torn between one artist discussed will discuss last and then Bad Brains, for instance, really influential punk band that I, especially with hardcore punk music, that I have a high regard for and I consider to be the best hardcore punk band of all time. Um, but ultimately, I did decide on 10. And what I'm going to be do- doing is I'm going to discuss each of them, their importance in music, and in particular, why... I find them so important also, which I mean, realistically, I mean, why I find them so important is probably the least important part of this, honestly. But I did, I do just want to include an additional little bit as an homage to each of those artists and why I, and why I love them so much. So we have 10 here. Well, and they're in no particular order for the most part. I just kind of threw them in randomly. Um, so the first artist that I want to discuss, I wanted to discuss at least one jazz artist. And ultimately, the one that I, that I opted to discuss is Coleman Hawkins. And the reason I did was because there are two jazz, there are two jazz artists that really got me into jazz. One's Dave Brubeck, the other one is Coleman Hawkins. This, uh, I, he was a saxophonist, absolutely amazing saxophonist, um, He, uh, he was extremely influential, uh, um, with, uh, with jazz music, um, his style stylistically, um, his, uh, um, he had one of the smoothest (laughs) ones also amazing tone. Um, it was this full tone, uh. And, uh, really was just really rich tone and, uh, used a lot of vibrato in it, which it just sound. he made it sound, and I know, like, we could say smooth jazz or whatever, but realistically, I mean, I'm not a big a smooth jazz guy, but, um, with him, it was like, with his style, it was, it just, it really did feel just so smooth, like it was coming so easy to him, which, realistically, that, I mean... I mean, playing, I mean, I know for me, I was never, never played saxophone. I could only imagine how difficult it must be for mine. Cause I focus more on stringed instruments. Um, but he really was, I absolutely loved his work. There are, um, and it's funny. Cause I you know from, for me, I'm not the biggest, like a swing, uh, swing music, uh, fan or, uh, um, but I, still, I think for me, just because of how amazing and smooth his, uh, it sounded and how beautiful it sounded. Uh, it, and it really was so cool. And also he was one heck of one heck of an improviser also. Um, and really did, I think also was important in, uh, a lot of styles of music with improvising, jamming, where he did a lot of things based on arpeggios with his improvising, which is, from a musical standpoint, brilliant, uh, because it it sounds amazing. And then, I mean, from a music theory-wise, it's it's like a, one of those general things where I know for me, especially with cello for many years, it was like one of the first things you learned with any sort of... Uh, any sort of key, you learned the scale and you learned the arpeggio for it. So, um, that's, um, so yeah, I feel like that just his, um, with how smart he was in that regard, um, especially because at around that time, uh, a lot of, uh, saxophonists really did try to, uh, impersonate a clarinet and with him, he he just said nope we're doing it we're doing this on a sax works we're, we're using this to its full potential and i think that especially because i do really like jazz music i um and i especially i think from uh from there i think that i did especially like to uh, listen to some wackier jazz artists but and jazz music but i think that in particular um someone like coleman hawkins i think that just not not only without him would i not be a jazz fan would had not enjoyed i had not really gotten into jazz music but i also think that with him a lot of the a lot of the music that i that jazz music after him was heavily influenced by him uh then next artist that i do want to discuss is someone i believe i've discussed in the past but i that is so influential even still that i wanted to discuss him again is carl craig uh really influential uh techno musician um in particular uh with uh, um was probably the face of uh, the second wave of Detroit techno music um he uh um and I mean he especially with what you think of with techno today I mean he really paved the way for a lot of that and uh and i'm in a lot of early techno music really was influenced by uh disco music but carl craig he expanded it from there um he uh he said why well, don't try a bunch of other styles so um some of the ones he tried and in, co- incorporating into it was like soul, aforementioned jazz music um you uh a new wave even like more some more experimental uh ones uh styles as well like uh progressive rock industrial uh krautrock which is uh german experimental experimental uh style music um and uh and then he also even in like incorporated some other forms of electronic into his music so like sometimes you might see like uh, in techno while it is a bit more underground in the um and electronic music, he did, did incorporate some other styles like house or um, ambient music and some other sound and even like synths kind of sounds. Um, and uh, I think that his influence not only with uh, you know, shaping techno music as a whole um, and also with how awesome as a as a remixer he was um, and uh but also, like, uh, with not only influencing and shape and, like, starting up techno, he's like, he also was really important in shaping tech, shaping techno for the future, but also expanding what it could be. And I think that's, and I love it when, like, an artist does, like, is, does, like, expand what the genre means a little bit. So I, for me, that's, I've always had such a, held Carl Craig in such a high regard and considered him, have always considered him one of the best electronic music, musicians and DJs of all time. Um, just for the combination of his remixing ability and also what he was able to do with um, not only techno music, but electronic music as a whole and being able to shape and and, uh, blend some of these styles. Uh, The next artist I want to discuss is one that I've discussed many times in the past and I can never discuss her enough. Enough, rather. Not enough. Um, Aretha Franklin. Um, I consider her the greatest vocalist of all time. Um, she's gotta be one of the greatest artists of all time. Um, amazing singer. Um, has had so many hits. Um, uh, and actually, apparently, I didn't know this, last year, apparently, Rolling Stone released a list of greatest singers of all time, and, um, she topped the list for that one. So I'm like, all right, I'm glad they agree with me there because she deserves it. My opinion. Um, yeah, she, uh, was also the first woman to be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame. Um, and she has, she found so many hits, uh, with, um, I mean, of course her most known song was, uh, her cover of respect. Um, but then she also had songs like, uh, natural woman uh chain of fools i never loved, i i never loved a man Well, I love you i uh, i say a little prayer think um a rose is still a rose a uh, tons of other ones um i mean it's she uh, she had several hits um both in r and the r b charts and in the pop charts and was so influential to a lot of different artists, um, and really was important in uh, in shaping, uh, excuse me, in uh, influence, not only influencing uh, a lot of artists, but also uh, shaping what R and B and rock music would be. And she was also really active with civil rights movement, which is re- which is really cool to see as well. Um but uh there are two main reasons that I that I really wanted to that I really wanted to discuss her. She was one of the first, uh, uh she probably she and Coleman Hawkins were probably the two artists that I thought of first that I really wanted to discuss in this post or in this episode rather. Um, one reason is because uh, I mentioned earlier that a lot of black artists really um, were exploited from a business standpoint and uh, she was one who even later in her career I heard stories about how uh, when she was when she would be booked to perform before she even got on stage she requested that she be paid she be paid she be paid in cash and she received she received the money and it was counted right in front of it's either she counted it or it was counted right in front of her and i think that um i think especially given the history of what a lot of black artists experience i i think that's amazing to it's sad that she's doing that but i I love like the power in doing that, though. At the same time, though, it is sad that it reached the point that business was business was so willing to exploit these artists. Yet, it's not even surprising one bit. Um, and the other, in terms of musical reason that I want to discuss her, I have discussed this many times. Discussed this topic many times in the past, but one thing that I've always marveled at is an artist who can take a song that wasn't written by that artist and turn it into their own. And I believe that Aretha Franklin is the sing was the single best at that. Um, like you, um, like I think, and I think respect is like a great example for that. Cause Otis Redding was the one who originally wrote it. It was totally different. It was, um, it was like a, a blue song that was written. Um, I guess soul song a bit, but I always consider it more bluesy. Um, that was written as a way to, um, effectively that was a way to try to win a, try to get uh, win a woman back. Um, and, uh, and asking for respect. Aretha Franklin takes it and makes it this, uh, um, makes it this, uh, uh, this woman's anthem and this uh uh feminine power anthem and I always found that so cool and I think that with her uh her ability to do that was absolutely wild and I think really did uh change the industry to make it so that a lot of to make that set you know there have been art, other artists at, that were either her contemporaries or prior to her. That had a lot of success with that uh Elvis being one that comes to mind immediately but I think that with her it there are a lot of people after that that were amazing like uh Whitney Houston in particular is another one that not only sat her as an influence but were really that were consistently inspired to do that and really were able to make their mark in the music industry by also uh uh, making a song their own that they didn't necessarily write or weren't the original artist for, and the reason that I love that I find that so admirable and amazing is because I've always had trouble with doing that. For me, I've never had tr- uh, issues coming up with two coming up with songs of my own or tunes of my own. But in term when I a lot of times when I hear a song that is already written, I have trouble trying to come up with it in a different style or different way when just hearing it. So I always have had a lot of admiration for artists who were able to do that seemingly with ease, like Aretha Franklin. Uh, the next artist that I want to discuss is another one that I've discussed in the past. Um, I believe, but living color, I especially want to because, uh, discuss them because I believe that they're one of the, one among the more underrated artists of all time. And also because, uh. I was absolutely obsessed with the song cult of personality, uh, when I, especially from the time I first heard it, but they are, they are one heck of a band. They're, uh, one of the more important funk metal bands, especially with, uh, shaping the groundwork for funk, funk metal, um, as especially, especially with, uh, their album vivid, uh, in the late eighties or, um, a little bit before funk metal really became big, uh, they had, uh, th- uh, they not only had like a bunch of songs that were hard rock or metal songs, um, but then they also were seemingly easily willing to just incorporate some other, one, uh, some other genres in it, like a uh, funky vibe is, uh, uh, has more hip hop influence in it. Um, Gil, uh, gl- excuse me, Glamour Boys, for instance has some reggae influence in it um and then you look at uh the album time's up and it's like love rivers is ugly head which is like a more of a ballad type song and i think that's so cool with uh, um uh, uh with what they're able to do with that and like elvis is dead like that had jazz influence so i think that seeing what they were doing especially when like in the early 90s uh the funk metal that The advancements in funk metal that laid the work, groundwork to, uh, for, um, for new metal in particular, they, and alternative metal, they were really on the forefront with a lot of these, let's try out some stuff. And uh, also, I, and they, and even like if you just look at their heavier songs, they, they could write some crazy good songs. I know even like, um, well, Cult of Personality is the one they ever focus on, but even like the song Pride is, one heck of a song. I love that song. Um, or like even one of their later albums, Chair in the Doorway. I've always loved that song. Um, or that album, I mean, rather. I know their song from it, Behind the Sun. I always thought that was such a cool song. Um, I really don't think that they get the respect that they deserve because um, there, and of course there are funk, that, funk metal groups that do get the respect that they deserve but there are some that don't, and I think Living Color is among the ones that um, don't because they're really more known for the song cult of personality when a lot of what you heard in 90s Alternative and 90s Hard Rock and Funk Metal really uh, did stem from and was influenced by what Living Color did. Um, the next artist I want to discuss is someone I have discussed one of his songs of in the past, and uh when he was inducted into the Rock and Roll of Fame, I also discussed him is uh Gil Scott Heron. Um he uh so if you were to necessarily say if you had to say that if for instance, if you were holding a gun to my head saying, What's what style would Gil Scott Heron be? I would probably say that the best one would be like he's a spoken word jazz poet. Um because he was a poet first and foremost but he did uh but he incorporated a lot of uh uh a, a various styles of music on top of it which was which was really cool and really was influential in a lot of genres um i know in particular uh his uh it was ex- Extremely influential in hip hop music. With one, his one of his songs that I actually discussed on a previous episode, "The Revolution Will Not Be Televised," a song that I absolutely love. Um, it was a poem that was that was done over like a jazz beat, and from there, that was a uh, and in, that ended up being an a crucial, important song in within the development of a poem, especially in terms of the development of hip-hop and he also was really influential with uh with the neo-soul with uh his willingness to uh to do his poems over jazz uh over like soul music especially which really did uh help influence what so and uh what soul could be and uh with neo-soul in particular really did uh did say hey there was show that case that there was a little bit more of that even more than it could be done with soul music. And he he's so influential across genres. Um I mean there have been people throughout so many genres that have considered him to be an influence. Um and uh he's been sampled in a lot of especially hip hop all over the place in hip hop. Um but I mean as a wordsmith um he was there are very few that Could top him in terms of lyricism and wordsmiths, uh, his his music. I, that's a big reason why I want, why I I really wanted to discuss, to discuss him was because I'm, in addition to his influence, I'm always blown away by. By his uh. I if you wanted to call a song then I guess lyrics, um. I know in particular I've always been blown away by the revolution will not be televised, um uh in particular uh um with uh where he uh the point of that song was saying that uh in response to this uh to this to the piece by the last poets uh when the revolution comes he uh he was they had the line uh when the roof when the revolution comes some of us will probably catch it on tv his point was revolution won't be on TV. Um and he and then from there he had all these different uh different cultural references to uh within the song and I thought that and I thought that was absolutely brilliant the way he did it. Did it. Um I I feel like that he's such an important figure. I was thrilled when he was announced that it, it was announced that he was going to be uh inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I I think his influence and, and him as a wordsmith are so essentially music. Um, the next artist I want to discuss, I really want to discuss either a hip hop artist or a hip hop group. Again, I know I said I was so tempted to say, you know what, I know I just talked about them, but I want to talk about a trump called Quest or They uh, um, Lost Soul again. But I said I really, I decided I really want to discuss a different hip hop artist. I've decided similarly, I want to discuss a group. And I want to discuss a group that of course they get love. But I don't feel like that they necessarily get the love that they deserve. And that's Wu-Tang Clan. Because a lot of because there are certain hip-hop groups that's like, yes, they're near the top. Like uh like NWA, uh, Run DMC, Public Enemy. I was so t- I was really I will say I was really tempted to talk about public enemy um with this one. But I really want to give some love to Wu-Tang Clan because um, the biggest reason being their lyricism uh, I've always considered them also to be such smooth and brilliant ly- uh, lyricists um, I know especially um, one that I, I heard one interview that Method Man had done um, where he had discussed that where uh, that like a lot of them like did they loved like uh, early on just they loved like using they loved like not necessarily using the same kind of words that you hear in it, in hip hop songs. And in particular, they were extremely important in East Coast hip hop. Because uh, At that time, they performed in the early nineties. At that time, it was really the, um, it was really West Coast hip hop. Uh, that was the big one. Um, but then they decided that rather than West Coast hip hop and gangster hip hop and like LA hip hop in particular, they opted to do east coast one and really focus on hardcore hip hop and um their debut album enter the Wu-Tang, 36 chambers was really important in uh developing uh in developing this style um, and in particular it was rather than like a being pol- rather than sounding polished that uh they in, in particular did a- included a lot of uh a, like an under more underground s- sound and uh and more of a raw heavier kind of sound but then they also had a uh, a combination of uh like lyrics that were different cuz they they managed to blend um like humorous uh and uh like serious and just our explicit lyrics all with ease and then stylistically also um uh the uh um in terms of their production also I thought it was really cool you to know Rizzo he had always said that when he was when he was uh doing production he had always said that he never wanted it to he never wanted to have it be a case of A lot of, uh, he wanted to be different where it wasn't like it was sampling everything he wanted to, the way that he said he had tried having no more than 20 to 25% sampled. And in particular, he wanted it to be like, if he did sample, he wanted to be like a case of it seemed something new or sounded something new, which really what, and really what has been influential in a lot of artists, especially in the East coast. Um, and, uh. It's there, I know in particular, some artists that have cited them as massive influences include like, a uh, Nas, for instance, um, I believe Jay Z has cited them as an influence in the past as well. Um, so, uh, several others, but they really were so important in developing the, in developing East Coast hip hop and I, and really are extremely influential, and they I don't think they get the love that they deserve consistently, despite being a pretty popular group and beloved group. Uh, the next artist I want to discuss, there were a few that I really was torn between when trying to limit it down, but one, I opted to discuss one artist in particular, Benny King, and the reason that I opted to want to discuss him is because, um, He's most known for "Stand by Me," but he does have a ton of hits, especially uh, as uh, um, it, um, both as solo a career and uh, with the Drifters, which he was the one of the lead singers with the Drifters when he was with them, and uh, I. He and I think really that for me I know in particular I really want to discuss him because uh, for a few reasons. First off, I'm a big sucker for R&B and soul music, especially from the '60s. Um, I consider "Stand by Me" to be one of the greatest songs of all time, and I think he is someone who is uh, wh- um, who well a lot of times when you do think of artists from the era, like the '50s and 60, in the '50s and '60s. He's often skipped over, which really isn't fair to him because he he really was uh in the late 50s in when he was with the Drifters, they were really they found a bunch of popular uh, popularity in his tenure there, and then um, when he ended up going off on a solo career, he found a ton of success there. Um, he especially in the early sixties he had massive success with Spanish Harlem, uh Stand by Me, Amor and, and Don't Play That Song. Um immediately. So I think that in general I they and he, his voice. Whew, he has one he had one heck of a voice. Um I think that a, there and I think you see especially that um uh that while most people do know Stand by Me, for instance, uh, nowadays, a lot, I think that just a lot of artists across genres have been so willing to cover his music and so excited to cover his music that I think that just shows and sh- uh, shows and showcases the, uh, the popularity and just how beloved he is across genres. Um, and he really was one heck of a singer. His voice was beautiful. Um, the next artist I want to discuss is one that I've discussed several times already, and I... I'm still adamant that she doesn't get discussed enough, especially around here, which is, uh, and that artist is Tracy Chapman. Um, I know I've said some crazy things in the past that don't, that sound absurd. Like, for instance, that I hold her in, uh, that I hold her songwriting ability and lyricism in the same kind of regard that I hold Bob Dylan, who's among the all-time great lyricists. Um, I... Also have, uh, I believe I've, if I haven't said it on the podcast, I've definitely said it in my personal life many times that, um, that my opinion is she one hundred percent should be, a uh, rock and roll hall of famer, which is crazy, which seems crazy since, she, uh, hasn't didn't have a ton of hits, but at the same time, I mean, she, I think just the combination of, uh, her, songwriting ability. Um, her, uh, I you know, in particular, her lyricism was, um, really, really special. Um, and, uh, um, the, and then, uh, and I mean, also she was able to do like, to easily, uh, seep into folk music and then like shift into rock music and then also do like a bit of a bluesy kind of sound. Um, she was easily able to just kind of shift and shift between each of them and had success with them. And I think in particular, one thing that I think in terms of her influence that she doesn't get enough attention for is that the singer songwriter and folk kind of genre kind of died, um, was kind of dead in the eighties. Then late eighties, suddenly she shows up and, uh, and in particular, releases the song "Fast Car," which is one, which is an amazing song, um, and and really self titled debut album. And both of them were just massive. And I think really she did help revitalize the both singer songwriter genre and folk genres, which uh, had died out a bit. And then suddenly, by like the early nineties, you started to see some other artists become big, and several other artists have comebacks who had kind of fallen off including Bob Dylan uh and I think that she was she was essential in that comeback but also I mean I consider her one of the greatest songwriters of all time also so just with that in mind I couldn't talk about her enough enough so there's uh two more I want to discuss one of them I really want to discuss someone because I know in particular for me I when I was growing up I loved I loved guitar um, I love the sound of the guitar. Um, and I think that for me, I've, as tempting as it was to say, let's just talk about Jimi Hendrix. There were several that I could have gone with. I went with B.B. B. King instead. And the reason that I did was because I, I do think that he is one of the most important <laughs> electric guitarists. Um, and I mean, he was uh, essential in the development of rock music. He was best defined as a blues artist, but still, um, I think his guitar playing really did shape, uh, set the stage for not only what, like, late 50s rock music by black artists could be, like artists like Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry, but also, like, a did kind of influence blues rock and hard rock in, in turn. Um, he's nicknamed the King of Blues by a lot of people, uh, one of the most important, uh, blues artists, um, ironically, actually, um, there were three, there were three really important blues artists, all with the last name King, um, all of whom were guitarists in between B.B. King, Albert King, and Freddie King, and none of them whom were related, just something I find kind of funny. Um, and also he, uh, he was someone who really was, I think, on the earlier end of being willing to tour all over the place and perform a ton of concerts. Um, in the year 1956, he performed 300 f- 342 shows, which is insane. Um, and I mean, I you see that now all the time where like, fam- like famous artists will just go on insane tours. Uh, but yeah, historically, that wasn't always the case. Um, so I think that's really cool how he did that. But I mean, in terms of that, he um he probably um especially in the fifties might have been among the most sophisticated uh, soloists in blues music in particular, um, really just trying a lot of different stuff um, that really he really was just uh, shaping what blues music but rock music could be as well um, with uh, like the amount of vibrato he used. Um, like way bended strings, often using staccato picking, but then not only necessarily just playing something fast, but then also just, uh, still using a, a incredible amount of uh, tone and, uh, really doing a lot with, uh, with different scales too. I really do think that he was in his, deep one of the most influential guitarists and really an essential guitarist in the development of rock music and blues music and continuing for blues music. And the last artist that I'd want to discuss is someone that is, uh, is someone that's not necessarily like someone who fits the bill where I discussed a lot of artists who, um, had success years in the past. Some One artist that I want to discuss is someone who is still at it now and is still stable now. And that is Jason Allen Butler. Um in particular uh so he got a start or he got a start with the band uh Let Live, um post-hardcore band that was on the more experimental end of post-hardcore um as their vocalist. And uh they they had found some success. They were really starting to break. They were starting to break through a little bit. Um and then uh and they they really did some really cool stuff musically. Um and then uh they broke up and um and, and then um he formed the group Fever three thirty three. And I have described Fever three thirty three as um as like at times if uh like if you were to take Raging as the Machine and do it, uh. And do it more, uh. Now, I guess. So, like, for instance, instead of, like, the predecessor to new metal, well, with rapping and with funk metal kind of thing, you hear a lot of rap core with some trap influence, uh, with, uh, with a lot of punk influence, with post-hardcore influence. Um. And. Uh, but like Rage Against the Machine, they. They were, they did a lot of, uh, of, uh, they made their political views known and, uh, were really, and were really active with them. And I, and they do a lot of things that I think are really cool. Um, in particular, one thing that, um, that Butler does is a lot of shows He'll wear a bulletproof vest. Um, and uh. And also another thing that I think is so cool that they do is uh. Is that they what they would call their a lot of times they would call their concert demonstrations, which I also think is so cool. Um, in fact, they did a live stream demonstration uh. Where they rose money for our uh for our Minnesota Freedom Fund and Black Lives Matter in response to the murder of George Floyd and i think that and um um and he was willing they were willing, he was in particular was willing to go after record labels and streaming services uh for not using money to uh to uh support black black community while uh while profiting off it and i i I think for me, I've always I do have a lot of respect for an artist who does, um, especially in this situation with with him in particular. He he puts his money where his mouth is with with these kind of beliefs and is trying to do betterment for people. I love that, so um, I and I have so much respect for that. And also musically, they're an amazing band, and I highly recommend them. And uh, also on top of that, with his in terms of his style, I also find it really with this performing style um he is a high energy erratic um cl- uh like stay uh like crowd surfing uh cl- climbing stuff on the stages a lot of stuff like that and there, are, there are other artists that do that I do think that it's so cool to uh, watch him to watch him do that and It's, I, I do, I do have a lot of admiration for him and his work, and he's one heck of a musician also. Love him. Um, And I love the group, the too. so I, for me, it was like I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't discuss him enough. Um, Anyways, I know I did discuss several artists there, and that there are several artists that I didn't discuss that are so influential, but really, I, the reason that I did want to do of black history special every year is because of the importance of, of black artists in music and yet even despite that how in society uh, there are way too many situations there should be no situations where they're treated like second-class citizens but yet this continues to happen in every facet of life and I, and I need to say it's unfair is an understatement to say it's outright stupid feels too obvious to me but and it feels so obvious that everyone seems to miss it and I think that's an absolute tragedy um travesty and it's just downright despicable um but I that was but I did think that it was important to still discuss to still just acknowledge the importance That black artists have had historically within music. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to be discussing on the next episode. Um, I haven't thought that far (laughs) ahead yet, admittedly. But thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this one. Um, Be sure to like the Facebook page for Groupie and Harmony and for Feeling Groupie. Be sure to check out the blogs for Feeling Groupie and um, Is Baller Trademarked Yet? Yeah, yeah, that's my other one. Um, And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.